How many of you guys grew up like 80s, 90s era? Just real quick. All right. I know we talk all the time, those of us in that age, about what an amazing time that was. And there are people now who are making movies. I mean, there's so many Stranger Things and all these things set in that time frame. And my kids are always like, man, the 80s seems so epic. Like, oh, they were great. You have no idea how awesome they were. But um, I, I think there were many things we did that were, you know, a little bit interesting and just wouldn't fly today. Uh, as we did them. And so, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is, remember eating the cookie dough right out of the bowl? Like mom, Christmas Eve would be making some, some great cookies for the next day. And the, and the beautiful moment wasn't when they came out the next day. It was actually when you, she had gotten everything she could on the little pan and she handed you a bowl and a spoon and said, go for it. Like that was the absolute best, man. Landon, give me a little more house lights, bud. And I just love that so much. And, you know, as time went on, like you didn't care if the blender blades are still attached to the blender and you're just going ahead and lick the thing. Things still be plugged in. You know, I don't care. Like I'm going to go ahead and eat, uh, go ahead and eat some more of those. Um, you know, I think as time went on, though, people began to realize like this is not a very good idea. Uh, we, we got some raw eggs here. We got some flour. And so it was done away with. But I, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. The, the, the brilliant minds, the brilliant minds of, no, not NASA, no, 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 not the leading institutions, the brilliantest of all minds from Nestle and, and Pillsbury, of course, have brought us the eat or bake cookies. Can we say amen in church today, everybody? Like this is the Lord's moving right here on Long Island. Like this is so awesome. Now the problem with this though is my diet now <laughs> is in trouble. And so uh, there is, of course, if I break into this, and they sell them in tubs too, just so you all know, um, if I break into this, there's going to be evidence the next morning because the spoon, there'll be a spoon in the sink, it's got a little bit of chocolate, you know, I didn't quite clear the evidence enough, or there'll be a bowl in the dishwasher that still needs to be cleaned, or, you know, the package is obviously going to have less in it, or maybe if I go really hardcore, the package is in the garbage because it's empty now, right? And so there's always going to be some sign of evidence that this event took place. And you know, the same is true with the resurrection. Like it really happened. This actually happened. And because we know this actually happened, there's tons of evidence. There's tons of things that we can look at that say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this absolutely is a historical event. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to question. We don't have to hope. We can just know that our Savior is risen and alive. And that's what we're spending our time here on this series. Now, the tricky part of it is, as I kind of put my chair together, uh, I think what happens in church so often is one little piece of the chair or the evidence, if you think about the faith and the evidence that we have to support our faith, I want you to think about it like a chair. And there's many pieces to a chair. There's many pieces to the evidence that supports our faith. And so often we just have our faith in one piece of the evidence. You know, we, we saw somebody's life change. We say, I want my life changed. And then maybe somebody struggles a little bit and you go, well, did God really change their life or not? And now our faith's in trouble. Or maybe we put our faith in the prophecies or the history of the first century and somebody asks us a really difficult question. We don't know how to answer it and our faith can fall apart. But not if we bring all of the pieces of our evidence together, all the pieces of the chair together, which that's what we're doing here in this series. And then we have something that can support us. Even if one of the wheels on this chair even fell off, I can still sit on the rest of the chair and be comfortable and held, right? And sometimes when that one piece of our, our faith comes under attack, the rest, of us will the rest of it will carry us while we try to figure out this piece. 
And so in this series, we're having fun kind of putting the chair together. And as I've been saying, this is why I'm a Christian. It's why I'm a follower of Jesus. This stuff is not just like, oh, what should we talk about this week? No, this is why I am who I am and why I am confident that Jesus is alive. And so I love talking about this. I hope it becomes a passion of yours as we continue to kind of unpack everything here and discover more and more of the evidence. And my prayer is that whenever something challenging comes up in life, our faith remains strong. That whenever something comes at us that we didn't see coming, our faith in Jesus is that one thing, maybe only one thing in our life will remain strong, will remain steadfast. And in in the world we're living in more than ever, we've got to know that Jesus is alive. There's so much going on. There's so much pain. There are so many things having us question and wonder and doubt and why. And man, at the end of the day, we have got to know We lose somebody we love, somebody that we care for, hasn't been healed yet, though we've been praying. Somebody asks us a difficult question we don't know the answer to. Uh, We feel a little distant from God. We've got to be secure in the evidence that Jesus is alive. And also, we've got a world to reach, don't we? We've got a bunch of people that need to know Jesus is alive. They need to hear this good news. And so we need to be sharing this. And we need to know our stuff if we're going to be sharing this. And so I pray your faith will be strengthened. And I pray other people will find answers when they encounter you at school or work or hanging out in the neighborhood. And you have some answers for them as well. And so let me review real quick. And actually before that, let me just say, if you are not a follower of Jesus, we are thrilled you're here. And we pray that this series helps answer some of the questions that you might have. And we pray that this series will help you dig a little bit deeper into this evidence and find that there is truth. And so we started out in week one. We, we asked the question, is the natural enough? That was one piece of the chair here, is the natural enough, the natural explanation for how we got here, natural explanation for origin of life and quality of life, was that enough? And in my experience, as I researched and studied and looked at the world around me and looked within at like my own satisfaction and my joy and my peace, I found that the natural didn't cut it. The natural explanations weren't enough. And so it sent me to look to the supernatural, to a more than natural, to is there a God? And so week one, we saw the evidence points to God. Week two, which was last week, we talked about how there's truth and power found in Jesus alone. And that's the second piece of the chair. Now, I have to tell you this. You ever told a story somewhere or you did something and then after that you're like, ah, I should have said it this way. I should have done it that way. Well, that was my entire last week. I was so upset at myself all week at how I communicated last week's message because I think I could have done it in such a clearer way. So give me two seconds to, to, to catch you up and also just hopefully hold out to you a better understanding of what we talked about last week so I can sleep this week. Is that okay with everybody? All right. Now, what I said last week was, we, we, we took a bunch of people, we lined them up next to Jesus, right? And we looked at uh, Muhammad and Buddha and Joseph Smith and um, L. Ron Hubbard and just basically said, okay, let's look at their initial claims and see how different Jesus is. See, all roads don't lead to heaven. No, there's one who stands out. And as we looked at it, I, 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 I realized this week, man, what I should have said, instead of the original claim of the leader, I wish I had phrased it this way. I wish I had said, let's talk about the hinge event in each religion, okay? The hinge event, what do I mean? The event that everything on that religion hinges on. For example, with Buddha, he said that he you know, lived life a certain way, he was all about riches, and then he realized that was not the meaning, and then he denied himself, and he went this road of asceticism and, and uh, punished his, his body, and, and he realized that was not it, and so he found this middle ground, and then he began to uh, you know, um, meditate, and one day under the tree, like I said last week, he became enlightened. And so that was his hinge event, that enlightenment, 
See, if that really happened, and if there are some people that can verify that that happened, then maybe we should sit up a little and, and say, Buddha, do you have something to offer us, okay? So that's the hinge event there. Then we looked at Muhammad, and, and his hinge event, like we saw last week, was he was in the cave, and he saw an angel, and he says that this angel told him he's the prophet of God. That's the hinge event. Was there anyone there to verify that this actually happened? that he actually saw an angel, that he had this encounter and he's the prophet of God, right? And we went on down the line last week and we got to Jesus and we saw the hinge event for you and I, for Christians, is a risen savior, a God in man's body, placed on a cross, placed in a grave and raised back from the dead. Do we have any eyewitnesses for that, right? Yes, okay? So that's how I wish you all heard last week's message, that hinge event moment. So the two questions last week were, where is the what? And the second one was, where is the? All right, good. I, man, I cringe because it was a little quiet for a second there, but you guys were paying, you were paying attention last week. And so when we ask where is the truth, uh, Buddha didn't have anyone to verify that he had this enlightenment experience. And Muhammad didn't either, but then we get to Jesus, and Jesus had eyewitnesses of his death and of his resurrection. You say, well, why take the eyewitnesses seriously? Well, we're going to get to that in a few weeks. But I love that Jesus stands apart, this public display, not in under a tree by himself or in a cave where no one was, publicly put to death and publicly raised back from the dead. So he stands apart. And then where is the power? We saw last week that everybody basically said, do what I'm telling you to do. You'll get where you want to go. And Jesus says, I'm going to come and save and rescue you. I have the power to remove your sin and do in you what you could never do yourself. So I'm so thankful that the truth and the power, man, is found only in Jesus. Now today, I want to talk with you about the third piece of the chair. And again, for Christians, I pray that it will help you guys in any area you might be struggling or wrestling with some questions or doubt about the scripture, why we take the Bible seriously. And I pray that it'll give you answers for others. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray it really helps you see the plan of God in a powerful way. And so today's theme, based on two words, sacrifice and substitution. Everybody say sacrifice and substitution. All right, here's what I need you to know. Those two things were always the plan. Sacrifice and substitution were always the plan. This is so important because for me, as I was exploring faith and I was looking at Jesus and I see power and truth in him like nobody else, one of the things I struggled with was, but if I'm going to take the Bible seriously and I'm going to take these accounts about Jesus seriously, why does it seem like the first half of the Bible called the Old Testament and the second half of the Bible called the New Testament almost feel like they tell two different stories? Have you ever been watching a movie and you fall asleep? and you wake up and without realizing it, another movie has come on. You're like, this is weird. <laughs> I fell asleep and Chris Pratt was fighting with a raccoon and now I'm awake and Hugh Jackman is singing with a bearded lady and I don't know how this movie quite came together, okay? Well, obviously, those are two different stories. You're in two different places there. The Bible is nothing like that. It can sometimes feel like it, like, like I was up to one thing in the first half and another thing in the second half. I want you to see today that Jesus was always the plan. Everybody say, Jesus was always the plan. And the sacrifice and substitution of Jesus in our place was always the plan. You don't have to read the Bible going, oh, I like the second part when Jesus shows up. I want you to see today the whole Bible is about Jesus. 
From the first verse to the last verse, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And though the whole Bible is about Jesus, in some ways the first half of the Bible is a setup for the coming of Jesus, the second half, right? The, the Old Testament shows us we need the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament, all those thousands of years without Jesus, shows us, oh my goodness, what Jesus has come now to do and what's, what's given to us and offered to us since he's come. I think this is important because I think sometimes when we aren't sure about all this and we don't take the Bible seriously or we don't take God seriously, we can kind of wonder like, all right, did God like just come up with a plan B? Like, like he creates, people mess it up and he's like, oh no, what do I do now? No, 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 we're gonna see today. It's just one cohesive story. And that means if God has written one cohesive story for the revelation of his plan of salvation and his son, then the, the plans he has for you are also good, are also written, are also powerful. That, that's what we all question is, well, God, do you have a plan for me? Where do I find myself in your story? Well, we have to make sure that this story is solid first, and then that gives us faith that, man, the story he's writing for us is solid too. We're in good hands. And so I want you to see how powerful this is. I, I hope that today makes you fall in love with the Old Testament. Because some of us only read the New Testament. We, 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 what's Ezra? I don't know, right? Like, none of us have ever... We, we got to start jumping in there because, man, we see these beautiful pictures of Jesus, of sacrifice and substitution. The Bible is one cohesive, beautiful, powerful story of this amazing interaction with God and mankind. Now, listen, some of you don't care about that. Some of you watching online in the room today, you came here today going, I don't care about any of that. What I need to know is, does somebody love me? Is there anyone that can forgive me? I've got issues in my life I don't know how to fix. Can someone help me with that? Well, we're gonna see the answers to those questions here today as well. So sacrifice and substitution. Let's jump into just the third chapter in the whole Bible, okay? Just three chapters in, in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve have sinned. Sin is now an issue, okay? And in verse 21, it says this, the Lord God made clothes from animal skins for the man and his wife, and dress them. So listen, Adam and Eve have sinned. What happens? God sacrifices an animal and gives them these skins and covers their shame. They were naked. They were ashamed, right? So now they are covered and their shame is no longer what it was before, okay? And so we see sacrifice and substitution. And the Hebrew word here for this idea of the animal skin is or or hide. And there's only one other time in Genesis that it's used. Jacob killed an animal and covered himself in the hide. So there's this covering of shame. There's this covering of guilt, but it came from the sacrifice of this animal, okay? And then we have this idea of substitution. Now, what's substitution? We all know what that is. It's when somebody who's really not supposed to be there is stepping in for somebody who should be there, right? I'll give you an example. I've told you before, when I was a kid, I went to church, and um, Billy Joel's drummer was the drummer at our church. Like, he would be playing piano man, Nassau Coliseum, the night before, and he'd show up at 7.30 for practice for worship band, with my mom leading up there, and he would play Blessed Be Your Name. You know, like, how crazy is that? And so it was pretty nuts. Like, people would come, that's Billy Joel's drummer back there, right? Amazing, except for the fact that often he, he toured. And, and guess who got to fill in for him as the substitute when, when he toured? This guy right here. How awesome for me, right? People come in like, oh, there he's not. It's not, it's a kid. He's got long, weird hair and facial, that's, his facial hair is weird too. And like, we want to see liberty. Like, and so there I was, right? Somebody who shouldn't have been there filling in for somebody who should have been there. Now listen, in my story, substitution is a bad thing. Me filling in for Liberty DeVito. In our story, 
What an amazing thing that the Son of God would fill in for us when we were on the line, when we were in trouble, and we were steeped in our guilt and our shame. And so God's first dealing with sin with Adam and Eve is sacrificing and substituting. What they deserved, they did not get. They were covered. Their shame was covered. Let's go on. It says in Leviticus 9, we're going just three books into the Bible now, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So we're still at the very beginning of the Bible, and we're going to see beautiful pictures of Jesus here. On verse, in verse 1, it says, On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the leaders of Israel. He told Aaron, Take a calf that has no defects. Everybody say, No defects. For yourself as an offering for sin and a ram that has no defects. Everybody say, No defects. As a burnt offering. Sacrifice them. <clears throat> in the Lord's presence. Why did I have you say no defects? Because think about how powerful this is. Can you think of anyone who would eventually be sacrificed who had no defects, who had no sin, who was, in, who was completely perfect, who had no imperfections? That's a picture of Jesus. We're just three chapters in, and we have, or three books in, and we have a picture of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. In fact, eventually, he'd be called the Lamb of God, right? That wasn't on accident. That wasn't like, Jesus, you know, the first half of the Bible happens and humanity messes everything up and then God says to Jesus, why don't we give you the nickname Lamb? Because that might remind them of what we were doing back on the day. Oh no, that was all set up. That was all part of the plan. It was, there, there was a Lamb offer that had to be perfect because that was what Jesus would one day be. Verse three, also tell the Israelites, take a male goat as an offering for sin. Everybody say sin offering. So there was a sin offering, and what the sin offering was for was for the sins in your life that you committed that you did not know you committed, and also just our general um, state of sinfulness, okay? So there was this sin given for the sin we didn't know we committed, or this offering given for the sin we didn't know we committed. I'll give you an example, right? Sometimes we do stuff wrong, we don't realize it. When my son Landon was just one years old, he was hanging out with his cousin Quinn at my in-law's house. And something dramatic happened between the two of them. I don't know. So the legend tells something horrible happened. They, they got into some disagreement. And I just look up and I see Landon with his arm raised, walking like this across <laughs> his little steps toward Quinn. And I'm yelling, no, 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 no. And I'm getting closer and I can't get to him in time. And of course, he slaps Quinn right upside his little one-year-old head. And we actually have the whole thing on video and we watch it at Christmas. It's a wonderful family classic <laughs> entertainment, but... There was Landon, not really knowing what he was doing was wrong, okay? And so the sin offering would cover those sins in our lives we don't even know are wrong in our general condition of sinfulness. But then there was the trespass offering. Everybody say trespass offering. Now this was the kind of offering and sacrifice that was made for the sins we do know about. The ones we go, oh yeah, I know I've done wrong things. I know I've been angry. I know I've been unforgiving. I know I've been proud. I know I've been lustful. I know I've been hateful. I know I've been vengeful, right? Like those things that we know about. Now, though the trespass offering did cover, again, we're talking about covering, not removing sin, but covering, more about that soon, would cover the sin, there was still another price that had to be paid by the sinner. There was, again, an animal or something of value, a calf or a lamb without defects. There it is again, without defects, a perfect in, uh, unblemished animal had to be given. Now listen, the person offering the sacrifice, this is graphic and intense, but just stick with me. There's a reason I'm bringing all this up today. It's not just to gross you out or make you feel uncomfortable. The person would actually place their hands on the animal being sacrificed because the animal was dying for its sins. Like that's why the animal was sacrificed in this covering of the sin of the person who had done the sinning. 
So there's this identification that this is dying because of me. This is not just random. This is, I'm identifying that I am a sinner and I need some kind of help here and this animal is the substitute in my place. And here's you and me. We've all been guilty of, of sin, sinning without realizing it and sinning completely knowing it. We've all you know, gone 50 in a 25 not realizing. I didn't realize that was, that was the speed limit. But we've also gone 50 in a 25 completely realizing it because we really had to go to the bathroom, right? We've all, we've all been there. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? There's times we've done some awful things. Some horrific things have come out of each of us. And we need help. We, we, without a sacrifice and a substitute, we're completely held accountable for every last action thought, everything we didn't even know we were doing called sins of omission and commission, things we didn't do that we should have done, things we did do that we shouldn't have done, right? All of it, completely guilty. Verse five, so they took the things Moses commanded and brought them in front of the tent of meeting. The whole congregation came and stood in the Lord's presence. Moses said, the Lord has commanded you to offer these sacrifices that you may see the Lord's glory. Everybody say, see the Lord's glory. See, here's why this is so important. Sin keeps us from seeing what? The Lord's glory, God. Sin separates us from God. And so he made this way. Again, this was just an early picture of the sacrifice and the substitution that would follow. But it's this early picture of, okay, something is going to be sacrificed in your place as a substitute to rescue you from sin. We are unable to come close to God because of the issues of our heart. But here's God making a way and giving us a picture. Verse 7, Moses told Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice an offering for sin and a burnt offering to make peace with the Lord for your sins and the sins of the people. Do you see what it says there? He's telling Aaron to make peace with the Lord for his sins and the sins of the people. So imagine every Sunday you come to church and the first thing we all do is I have to make a sacrifice up here on the stage to cover all the things I did wrong for me this week and then I have to make a sacrifice to cover all the things you did wrong this week. What a whole different thing we have. Are you appreciating some of this today? That this is not what we're living under anymore? That this isn't where we are? That God's done so much for us? But let's go on. Also make an offering for the people to make peace with the Lord for them as the Lord commanded. Now the next few verses are incredibly graphic and I'm reading them on purpose. You'll see why in just a minute. Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as his own offering for sin. Aaron's sons brought him the blood. He dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. Then he poured out the blood at the bottom of the altar. And we're like, this is disgusting. Like, Doug, why are we talking about this here today? We're talking about this here today because this picture is supposed to show us what was coming. A perfect lamb named Jesus would be horrifically murdered in our place. You know, the scripture tells us that Jesus was unrecognizable as a human being after what he endured. And so here's this picture all the way back in Leviticus, all the way back in the third book of the Bible, showing us a horrific sacrifice would take place, a sacrifice and a substitution for the sins of the people. But the problem with these Old Testament sacrifices were that they didn't remove the sin, they just covered it. They just covered the shame and the guilt. And even though the sacrifice was made, there was payment that still had to be made at times. And I think about the Old Testament. 
And I think about these pictures of Jesus, and I think about how the Old Testament shows us we need the New Testament, and how the, the, the thousands of years before Jesus came, and, and the, the thousands of years since he's come, what a contrast we have. The Old, people, or the Old Testament people were trying to, in many ways, earn their way to God. Some had understanding. David had understand. Look to the cross, right? He was looking ahead at what Jesus would come and do. And we'll talk about that actually next week. The prophecies, the pictures of what we find in the Old Testament and then how we know we can trust them. But are you seeing the plan? Are you seeing that from the third chapter in the Bible and the third book of the Bible, we already have these ideas of sacrifice and substitution only of a perfect sacrifice in our place. And that we identified with that thing that was sacrificed as dying for us. Can you see our need for a substitute. Can you see the plan and how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit perfectly together? Because in the Old Testament, the sin was still an issue. It wasn't removed, it was just covered. Some of you guys have met our dog, Chewy. And Chewy is a cute little dog, but man, he doesn't listen too well. And we've been training him, and he's doing all right. Uh, he doesn't usually have accidents in the house, but sometimes he still does. And we went out maybe two months ago and came home to a big accident in the house. Now, not only was there an accident in the house, what Chewy had very interestingly done is gone and found his poopy bags and brought them over to where he had the accident and covered his poop on the floor. Yeah, you all say, oh, you have to clean it up, okay? <laughs> but think about that. Though some of Chewy's shame may have been covered, poop was still on the floor, wasn't it? You know what? The same is true for you and I, right? Covering sin and shame is one thing, but removing it is completely different. That's completely another. But we have all these pictures in the Old Testament that Jesus was coming, that hope was coming, that somebody greater than a lamb, a literal lamb, was coming to make this sacrifice and be our substitute in our place. Back to Chewy. He one day is in the kitchen and suddenly a dog comes up on the TV and he comes running in, jumps up on the TV stand and he's trying to play with this dog. And we're sitting there obviously like we all would be going, Chewy, this is a picture of a dog. This is not the real dog. This is just simply a representation of something greater and real. And that's what the Old Testament gives us over and over, a picture of something greater, a picture of something real, a picture of a better sacrifice and a better substitute that wouldn't just cover our shame, but would take the poop off the floor of all of our lives. And so let's jump to the New Testament now. We're going to jump to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 19 and see how this all lines up. A lot of these phrases and words are going to sound familiar from what we just read from the, the Old Testament. Look what it says in verse 19. The payment that freed you was the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb. There's the name, the Lamb, with no defects or imperfections. And so what frees you and me is not our works, though Muhammad and Buddha and Joseph Smith and L. Ron Hubbard and all these others would say we have to do something to get where we want to go. No, Peter tells us, and he was an eyewitness, so we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, Peter tells us what frees you. Everybody say, frees me. What frees you, not what covers over, not what covers up, what frees you and me is the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb, Jesus, who lived the perfect life with no defects or imperfections. We have a picture of Jesus. Verse 20, he is the lamb who was known long ago before the world existed. Everybody say before the world existed. Do you see the plan? The lamb of, the lamb of God, Jesus, 
He was always it. Jesus was always the plan. It wasn't God being, you know, confused. It wasn't him not having things all planned out. He wasn't going, oh no, they ruined everything. I created them and they messed everything up. So let me figure out if we could patch this up with Jesus now. No, this was always the plan. A savior coming, a sacrifice and a substitute was always the plan for you and me. But for your good, it says in the next verse, he became publicly known in the last period of time. So when Peter is writing this, He's saying in this last period of time, though Jesus and this plan was in motion since before the creation of the world, he's now been made public and known. And so Jesus coming to die and rise again in our place was the plan, not plan B, not plan C, always plan A. Verse 21, through him you believe in God who brought Christ back to life and gave him glory. So your faith and confidence are in God. That's the chair, right? He did all this. What was the whole point of Jesus dying and rising again? It was to remove our sin, but done so publicly so that you and I could have confidence and faith in God. You know, Jesus stands out. We looked at Muhammad last week. You know, the Quran says Muhammad did some miracles, but never says that he was crucified or or executed or sacrificed in our place and rose back from the dead, and that act saves or rescues us. Are you seeing how Jesus stands out. Are you seeing that there's no one else who did what Jesus has done for you and done for me? Our faith and our confidence are in a risen Savior. And here's what I hope. I hope that as we talk about this today, you and I, our, 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 our minds are being stretched, our understanding of Scripture is growing, but I really pray that just this love of what God's done for us is intensifying. This passion, like we talked about last week, is growing in us, that we're seeing what we now enjoy. I woke up at about 4.45 this morning. It wasn't on purpose, didn't have an alarm slept until about 6.45. But I was just up, thinking about a lot, praying about a lot. And when I wake up early like that, often I'm, I'm discouraged or I'm sad about some things and I'm just fighting through that. And so one of my habits is take out my phone and I'll just start to write things out that I'm thankful for. And without even thinking about what the message was today, it didn't dawn on me until the end of the 9.30 service that one of the things I wrote today was, yes, I'm grateful for my wife and my kids. I'm grateful for, you know, several things. And then I said, I am grateful that I walk through every day knowing that my sins are forgiven. That's what we're talking about here today. Not just head knowledge. What's going on in your heart that makes you and I celebrate today and worship God together and go out and live a different way? What's going on in our heart? Oh man, it's that our sins are forgiven. What joy can we have at 4.45 in the morning? My sins have been forgiven. What joy can we have when we walk through our week and maybe we hate our job or our marriage is struggling or our parents are always fighting or, man, my sins have been forgiven. I am held by the evidence that there's a risen Savior. And the story of the entire Bible is the sacrifice and the substitution of Jesus in our place. That's what I'm hoping you're seeing today. The sacrifice and substitution of Jesus in our place are the story of the entire Bible. Genesis 1 to Revelation, all about Jesus. The promises, the pictures, him coming, and then the rest is what he's done and what what he will do. Man, how powerful that you and I can walk through our week like that. What a beautiful God we have that he didn't just cover up our shame or he didn't make us the sacrifice. What a powerful, loving God we have that said, I will become that sacrifice. I will be that substitute. So you and I can take the Bible seriously. We can take God's plans for our life seriously. We can know that God is trustworthy. 
And I pray that some of us are falling in love, are on the route to falling in love with the Old Testament, to, to hunting down and looking through the pictures of Jesus, that, that greater picture of, of who was coming and what he would do. So the first piece of evidence that we have is the evidence points to God. More than the natural, there's a supernatural. There's a creator, there's a sustainer, there's a miracle worker that we need to be seeking. And his name is Jesus, because truth and power are found in Jesus alone. And I pray today, as we talk about how this story all fits together, and we just kind of pop another piece on the chair here, and we're realizing that the sacrifice and substitution of Jesus in our place is the story of the whole Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament are not two different movies. They're not two different stories. They're one beautiful, cohesive story. And I want you to trust what you read in the scripture. To know that it brings life and it brings hope. And we're going to explore in the weeks to come more about the Bible. Why trust the scriptures? Why trust what the New Testament says about Jesus? Why should we believe anything about these prophecies? Why should we trust the eyewitnesses? We're going to talk about all that in the weeks to come. And then at the end of the series, we'll get to some miracles God's done, some changed lives, and the way that he interacts with us here and now on a day-to-day basis. But I'm praying this is strengthening your faith. I'm praying it's giving you some answers. I'm praying if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're you're coming closer, you're taking steps closer, you're exploring and questioning and seeing how good our God is. Maybe you're just wondering today, though, does anybody love me? Does anybody know what I'm going through? Can anybody help me? Can anyone free me of my sin? The answer to all of that is Jesus, the sacrifice and the substitute. You know, a few weeks ago, I was talking with a pastor friend, and we were talking about Jesus' sacrifice and substitution in our place. And as we were talking, we were reminiscing about years ago when there was a school shooting out in Colorado. And in that school shooting, there was some gunmen inside, and then students, as they ran outside, there were some outside the school as well. And as they ran outside, a teacher saw one of these gunmen, and and the gunmen saw the students running next to the teacher, and the gunman took a shot at the students. And the teacher jumped in front of that bullet and gave her life for those kids. A sacrifice and a substitute, right? But think about this. You see, we have to understand this about God because it just magnifies his love for us and how big salvation is. Because this teacher couldn't decide that the bullet, that the bullet would just hit nobody, right? That wasn't possible. In the time she had, in the, way, in, in, in the, uh, the distance she had, there was no way she could push all the students out of the way and get herself safe. She, the bullet was going to hit somebody. That was the consequence of that person pulling that trigger, and that's what was going to happen. But she chose lovingly that the bullet would hit her. Sacrifice and the substitution. Now we think about God. Because God is just, the bullet had to hit somebody. Because God is loving, it didn't hit you. It hit his son in your place, in my place. And so as we think about what's really been done for us, I pray that our hearts come around truth that, wow, we have been given the most beautiful gift. And the Bible writes this beautiful story from beginning to end, and it all can be summed up in the sacrifice and the substitution of Jesus to remove our sin, the poop off the floor not just covered, removed, our shame, our guilt. Look at me in the eyes. If you are walking around beating yourself up because of something you have done, your sin, your shame, your guilt remain no more. It is not covered. It is removed. What did we say earlier together? Freed me. What freed me? Jesus' blood, the, the lamb without defect or imperfection. That's who you and I are today. That's the story that's been written for us. 
what I want to do today is we're going to end the message and transition into worship with a time of communion. We want to celebrate what God's done for us. We want to remember that Jesus said when we gather to do this in remembrance of him. And we have a cup under each of your seats. I'll ask you to take that in just a minute. And there's a little piece of bread in there and then the, the juice as well. We will celebrate that together. But I want to let you know, as we close this, this message out today and we think about responding to this this week, I just pray that there's love and adoration for Jesus growing in our hearts and not just head knowledge. That something's happening in here as, as this is also growing and expanding as well. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and you came in asking those questions. I would love for you to put your trust in Jesus. And I'm going to give you a chance to begin a conversation with him right now. And then we'll celebrate communion together. God, we are so grateful that, Lord, you have been the amazing sacrifice and substitution for us, God. That, Lord, you gave yourself. And, Lord, not only did you give yourself, but you defeated, Lord, all that was, was, was owning us. All that enchained us, God. All that we were stuck in, Lord. Thank you so much for that, God. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I would love for you to pray with me now. You can just say something quietly like this, Jesus, thank you for coming to rescue me. Thank you for coming to not just cover my shame and guilt, to not just give me advice about how to be a better person, but to save me, to rescue me, to make me your own. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you for this forgiveness. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm saved because of you. Show me what it looks like to be yours, Jesus. Fill my heart with love for you. Help me to learn and grow about what it looks like to be yours. Amen. You can go ahead and grab right under your seat that cup, and you can just peel back that first layer. And let me just pray for the bread. God, we thank you so much for your body being torn apart in our place. As we saw how gruesome the sacrifices were there in the Old Testament. God, we, we see the picture of you coming, the perfect spotless lamb that would allow his body to be torn apart and broken for us. God, we thank you so much. Would you go ahead and take the bread, remembering Jesus' great sacrifice for us. Thank you, God. We're so grateful to you, Lord. And Jesus, we now thank you for the blood that you poured out in our place. Again, back to that gruesome image in Leviticus of, of Aaron pouring out the blood and this representation that this is what you would come and do for us. You would suffer in a horrific way because, God, you are both just and loving. And the bullet had to hit somebody. Thank you, Lord, that you became that sacrifice and substitution for us. Would you go ahead and take the cup? When you're done, you can go ahead and place that under your seat. God, we just love you, and we are, are just so thankful that, God, at 445 in the morning, we can know our sins have been removed, God. Through the hardship of our week, through maybe hours of fighting despair or depression, through, through hours of fighting for a marriage or maybe healing from one that already fell apart, we can know our sins have been removed, God, through a, a week where maybe we're struggling in school or horrible work environment. God, we can know our sins have been removed. It's everything. It's everything. And we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that it's trustworthy. 
We thank you that it's one beautiful, cohesive, powerful story of your interactions with mankind. We thank you, God, the sacrifice and substitution of Jesus in our place, of the story of the entire Bible. In your name we pray.